Hello and thank you for listening to episode 371 of 60MW. I'm Dave. And I'm Tom. And this is another interview show that we've brought out, out of the vaults, our 80s picture house vaults. And it's the one that we did with Cynthia Rothrock way back, Tom, in May 2013. Oh my God. We hadn't Eight, even been years. Yeah, no. How, how crazy is that? We hadn't even been going uh, a year with Eighties Picture House because we started in June 2012. So we were still in our early days of Eighties Picture House, and uh, and, we'd, and we we'd already bagged action movie legend Cynthia Rothrock for an interview. This is it because we always cite, don't we? We've always cited Uncle Lloyd Kaufman as sort of the tipping point, almost for the interview shows that we did. We thought, oh yes, we've made it now. We've got Uncle Lloyd. And then the very next one that we got was Cynthia, which was very nice indeed. Was it the next one from after Uncle Lloyd? Yeah, yeah it was the wow. very next interview show that we did after Lloyd. Fantastic. Yeah, can't get much better than that, mate. It was uh, it's a lot of fun. But looking back, I thought, wow, eight years ago, that's gone very quick. Uh, mm. But hence the reason why we're re-releasing those people that maybe didn't know about 80s Picture House way back when. Or if you did, thank you very much. And it's here again for you to re-listen to. And uh, it's always nice for us to re-listen to these as well. Maybe we should get Cynthia back on. I keep saying this with most of these remastered interview <laughs> yeah. shows that we should get them back on and have a bit of an update. But I know Cynthia's done a lot of movies in the eight years since we last talked to her, so there would be a lot of new stuff to talk about as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And again, of course, this was way back when. We got different equipment. It doesn't quite sound as, as good. Uh, I'm just going to put it all in as was. So you've got all the old links to his pitch house. Don't go chasing those up. Or maybe if you want to, maybe you want to go chasing some old links up. See what you can find, what you can yeah. find from there. Enjoy um, the 404 screen or whatever it is you're playing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was looking at some of the... Uh, interviews we did for 80s pitch house as well that we haven't re-released yet on 60mw and there's some crackers coming up as well yes absolutely loads and they're brilliant yeah and uh, well talking of brilliant ones let's uh, we shall disappear and leave everybody to listen to the great cynthia rothrock and me and you tom back back in our youth all those years ago <laughs> so sit back relax get comfortable and here's me and tom chatting with cynthia rothrock Hi, I'm Cynthia Rothrock, and you're listening to the 80s Picture House. Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of the 80s Picture House, and the sixth of our In Conversation With series. I'm Dave, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Tom. Hello, hello. And today we are both very excited to be able to talk to the woman who is an action hero both on screen and off it. She is the wonderful Cynthia Rothrock. Hello, Cynthia. Hi. Well, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to have a chat with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Uh, well, I think the way we should start this is uh, if you could give listeners a little bit of background to uh, your early life and how you first got into martial arts, that would be great. Well, um, my girlfriend, I was 13, and her parents uh, owned a health club, and on Sunday it was closed, and they used to go down, and that's when they would clean the equipment and vacuum the rugs, and, you know, my friend and I would just go down, and we'd just, like, play around in this big, large room, like, doing cartwheels and kind of, you know, <laughs> messing around, and then after they got done cleaning, they would put on their karate uniforms, they were orange belts, and they would uh, practice uh, Tung Sidao, 
And I saw that and I was like, wow, what, what, what are you wearing? What is that? You know? And they said, oh yeah, we're studying karate. So I thought, hmm, that looks interesting. Uh, so I told my mom about it and we signed up at the Scranton Karate School uh, for a four month program. And um, basically that's how I got started, uh, you know, is watching them practice and thinking, I thought, oh, that's a good form of exercise. I, I was 13. I thought, wow, I'd like to have a belt. You know, that would be cool. And, and it seemed like something uh, different than anything I've ever seen before. Were you the only female when you, you joined that club? There was one other girl, and she was a black belt. And uh, I think, um, you know, when I first started, I was very intimidated with the class because, uh, you know, it was all men. They were all shouting. You know, I was like this little 13-year-old, and I felt very uncoordinated. Uh, you know, the, the black belt girls didn't really talk to me. <laughs> and um, uh, I, you know, I wanted to quit. I, after, like, a couple of weeks, I said to my mom, I want to quit. My mother said, uh, no, I paid for four months. <laughs> You're going to take the four months. So about, you know, two months passed and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't shout. I can't do this turn, you know? Um, and my instructor gave a, uh, a speech on uh, quitters, you know, that if you quit, you know, that, you know, their quitters are losers. And, uh, basically, if you're not good, it's because you don't practice. And I almost felt like he was like directing that speech to me. So I started to practice. And when I started practicing and, you know, I kind of changed my attitude because I was embarrassed by the speech, uh, I started getting really good. And then um, I know I, I couldn't do a full split, but I got down into a full split. And then you know, people were coming around and, you know, going, wow, that's good. That's good. You know, and, and it kind of, you know, it, it changed my mind. So after the four months, I felt, you know, I learned a good lesson that, you know, I started a lot of things and when it's hard, we give up, you know, cause we don't, you know, I don't know. It, we just find out it's too difficult. I can't do this. And I've learned from an early age on that doesn't matter how difficult anything is. is just don't give up and you keep doing it. You're going to get it. No, that's a good attitude to have. I think excellent, and you got and you got really good at martial arts very quickly too. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I studied really hard. I really st once I started getting the hang of it, I started liking it. And then on my first belt, uh, I know I I jumped a rank. You know, it was white belt, and you went to orange belt, and then it was orange belt one stripe, and I jumped to orange belt one stripe. So that was kind of cool for me. Going, wow, I you know I I passed the belt, and then I entered a. A form competition and at that time it was just women they didn't even have the ranks divided so I was competing against black belts I was competing against the black belt girl from our school that's been studying forever that's never really talked to me and uh, I ended up taking second in that division like a black belt took first I took second and the black belt from our school took third and I was just doing like the second form you learn like you know I think it was like you know basic form two you know where with the black belts were doing all these black belt forms so I thought oh, you know what, um, I could be good at this sport. You know, if I could, I could enter a competition and be black belts just training five and a half months, you know, if I really work out hard and I, and I you know, and I love like competing, it was the first trophy that I've ever won in my life, you know, so that experience uh, put me on the road to want to be number one in my field. Oh, what a road it was as well, because you've got, how many black belts do you hold now in various martial arts? Um, a bit. I hold six, uh, and basically I just, um, I kind of, you know, I'm still learning. I, 
I like to learn different things. So uh, I went, you know, from Kung Fu Do to Kung Fu to different styles of Kung Fu, back to Taekwondo to Kempo. So, um, you know, and now I kind you know, I want to study uh, Chen Tai Chi. So I think, you know, when we do martial arts, you can never get to a point and say, I know enough. You know, you could just keep learning, you know, your whole life and you still can learn more. And it amazes me as well, because I'm all right in saying that you're five foot three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I find it incredulous the way that you can you can kick so high as well. Has <laughs> that ever is that something that you you have to practice more than anything because of the height difference between some of the opponents that you've had? Yeah, so it's all it's all due to flexibility, you know. If you you figure, you know, no matter what size you are, if you could take that leg and go completely vertical, you know, you're going, you know, I guess six feet. Then if you're five foot three, you know, so it's basically working on that flexibility to get your leg up, you know, vertical. And when was it that you came? Uh, you started practicing with the weapons because I believe you're you're expert with various Chinese weapons too. Well, um, I, my style that I was studying uh, was, was Tung Sudo, and we didn't really have any weapons. And then I went into Pai Lam Kung Fu, and then we had a little bit of weapons. But I was uh, competing uh, in, in New York City. I you know, competed all around the East Coast. I think I was going to one and two competitions every weekend. And when I was in New York, I saw this performer, uh, his name is Benson Lee, and he did a double-headed spear form, and my jaw just dropped. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's like the best thing I ever saw in my life, and I was like, I want to learn that. So I asked him, you know, where he studied, and he said he studied uh, Eagle Claw from um, uh, Master Shum Leung in uh, New York City. So I uh, went to see him, and I would go... I went for about three and a half years. Uh, every Sunday, I would drive from my house in Pennsylvania, which is like about two and a half hours to the city, train for about four hours, <laughs> go to Chinatown <laughs> with my teacher, eat and see a Chinese movie, and then come back. So um, that really fueled my love for weapons because uh, I just, um, I loved the Eagle Claw weapons. And then um, I saw Roger Tong, who did Wushu, and then that even blew me away more, saying, I want to learn that. So then I, he was in Washington, so I eventually moved to California thinking, okay, it's closer to Roger, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I would go to Washington and study with him, and then uh, I went to uh, China uh, with him, and this is when China wasn't open to foreigners, so it was kind of, you know, it was hard to get in, so I went, and we trained for eight weeks uh, in Chengdu, so, um, like, that was, like, training, like, uh, eight to 12 hours a day. So it's pretty intense. So that, you know, all happened because of my love of weapons. Oh, wow. Um, Tom, over to you. I feel like I'm hogging the conversation with Cynthia already. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many questions to ask. Over to you. In uh, between 1981 and 85, you were, you were five-time World Karate Champion in form and weapons. What were your memories of that time? Well, um, I remember when I entered the first national tournament was in uh, um, New Jersey, right? And I took first place. And I think I beat Karen Shepard, who was number one at the time. And everybody kept coming up to me and saying, who are you? You know, who's this girl that took number one? Because that was unheard of. Usually you had to pay your dues, you know, people had to know you. And they were like, you should, you should compete on, on the national circuit. So I said, I want to compete on the national circuit. So being from Pennsylvania, none of the tournaments were around here, mostly, except that one. They were all like pretty much West Coast, you know, to the Midwest. So 
I went to, I moved to California and, um, then I, I just, um, I went out there and I won the Long Beach Internationals and I won this tournament in, in Stockton that, you know, so I started taking number one. So I said, you know what, if I could keep this up, I could be number one in form, um, and, uh, and weapons at that time, there weren't any women weapons. You know, it's funny because while I competed, I have never had just a women's weapons division. I always had to compete against the men. And in 1982, I became number one, uh, you know, in the United States in weapons, beating out the men, which was really, really a hard feat to do, you know, back then. Uh, and then I, I, you know, I set up a goal. I said, I want to be number one undefeated in forms for five years. And then I'm going to retire because that's, I think, a goal that is almost unstoppable. <laughs> and, you know, the memories where it was, it was during that five years, that's all I did was train in martial arts. I, you know, I had a studio, I would train with my students, I would train on my forms. And every time I would win, you know, everybody started coming out for me. It's like, oh, someone's got to beat Cynthia, you know, especially <laughs> after, you know, you're three years in a row winning and nobody beat you. So it was, a, it was, a, it was stressful for me because that's all I could do is, is think I don't want, I can't let anybody beat me because that's my goal. So I went and I, back, uh, you know, that's when I went to China. Um, I went to Taiwan. I went to Hong Kong. I would just study, study, study. I would take gymnastics. I would take ballet. I would take anything I could do to help my martial arts. And if I went like to uh, a different state, like I was in Chicago, you know, I wouldn't go see the sites. I would go, okay, where can I go train? You know, so my mind during those years was just focus on winning. And then on the fifth year, I got uh, to do Yes, Madam, the movie, you know, and I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do, though? You know, it was June when I went over and I had six months of competition yet because I, that was my goal. So they would let me come back to the States, compete, fly out the next day and go shoot the movie. And then, um, you know, I, I achieved the goal, number one, undefeated in women's form for that uh, for those five years. And uh, then I did Yes, Madam, which was a big hit. And then they were like, oh, we want to sign you on a three-picture deal. So it, it was perfect timing to go from one career, you know, to another because I wasn't sure once I retired what I was going to do. And then the movies came along. So it was kind of, you know, a great transition for me. Yeah, that leads me quite nicely into a, it's actually a question from one of our listeners, uh, Robert Beardsley, who asked, what were your first experiences like starring in a feature film? Uh, it was different because uh, I went to Hong Kong, you know, myself, and I had no idea... Um, I remember like from seeing the uh, Chinese movies that I thought, oh, I was going to be wearing the Chinese clothing. They were probably going to give me a black wig and I'd have long braids and I'd have razor <laughs> blades in them and I'd be whipping my hair around, you know, and I'm coming in on the airplane and I'm kind of thinking of, you know, Enter the Dragon coming in on Hans Island, you know, going, oh, I wonder who's going to be there because I knew no one. I didn't know anybody there. And when I first got there, you know, they put me in this hotel and it was like a, a old holiday inn and it was like kind of smelly, you know, you know, and you get those old musty hotels, you know, and we had a monsoon. So I couldn't leave the hotel for three days oh. and I couldn't talk to anybody. Um, there was no English TV on. Uh, I, um, I didn't have books with me, you know. I I was like, oh, what did I do? And I remember sitting in my room, like crying, going, whoa, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> but then when the monsoon cleared up and we started filming, it was interesting because it was like, no, you're going to be a cop from England. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm not going to wear like Chinese clothes because I'm thinking it's going to be one of the period films. And they go, no, no, you're just you're just a cop from England. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, 
it it was uh, it was good because you know Michelle Yao was in that, and uh, we became really good friends. And I had someone that could speak English, you know. And then uh, then you know the sunshine came out. It was like great, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is fun. And you know, I thought I would just do that one movie. I thought that was gonna that was gonna be it. That I would just do one film. I'd come back and go, wow, you know, I got my picture on a poster. I did a movie, you know, so I never really, I didn't know at that time that I would, you know, trans- transition into doing movies full time. Because that movie, that broke all box office records in Hong Kong as well, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great film. Um, I remember like they have this thing called a midnight showing where every uh, new movie that comes out, they have a midnight showing and they were like, they were scaring me saying, if the people don't like it, they'll be, they'll throw tomatoes at the screen. <laughs> they'll boo you, you know? So I was like really nervous. And, um, when it, there's a scene in yes, madam, where I do a, a cartwheel on a staff and then do the split on the wall. And, um, when that scene came up, the whole audience stood up cheering and, and there was like a big roar and everybody was clapping. So it was like such an amazing, you know, experience because I was sitting there thinking, <laughs> oh, I hope someone doesn't throw a tomato at me. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened then? This this movie breaks, it goes huge in Hong Kong. What? Who got in contact with you then? How did your movie career continue? Well, then uh, um, Sam Hung uh, signed me to do Shanghai Express. And, um, when he did that, uh, at that time, there's different companies that, you know, DMB films wanted to sign me, uh, cinema city did golden harvest did. And I was such a big Jackie Chan fan, you know, because when I used to, when I was little and I was training, I would go see his movies, you know, and, and he was like my idol who I grew up with. So I thought, well, geez, if I sign with golden harvest, maybe I could get to work with Jackie Chan, you know? So uh, I signed the three-picture deal uh, with um, Golden Harvest then, and um, the first one was Shanghai Express, and then uh, we ended up doing China O'Brien 1 and 2, but then I did, like a, I did another movie. I think I did Magic Crystal during that time, and, um, you know, ended up, you know, Golden Harvest would say, hey, would you do this film here? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I think I ended up doing, like, about eight of them in three years. Wow. Uh, one, one question I've got for you is this, the stunt work that you do. How much did the studios let you do your own stunts before stunt doubles were used? And was there any difference between the Eastern films that you made and the Western movies that you made as far as the stunt work that they'll allow you to do? Yeah, uh, there's, it's a huge difference. Um, when you're doing a movie in Hong Kong, you do your own stunts, you know, or you try to, right? <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as like, you know oh, this is a dangerous stunt, let's get a double, you know. Um, I, I've probably had a double, maybe about 15%, a guy would double me, and that would be usually, you know, if he's doing like a, a fall, you know, like 200 feet, <laughs> you know, off a building. <laughs> I did do one that was like 30 feet off a building, and, and it, you know, it was kind of, it was crazy because, you know, I didn't know anything about films, and I thought, well, I just got to do what they tell me. You know, I didn't know that you could say, oh, I'm scared, you know, going to stunt me and do it, and I, I remember, you know, doing this this uh, uh, scene, I think it was in Lady Reporter, where I had to jump off, you know, a 25-foot building, 25, 30 feet, and I was down on the ground and looking up at it, and, and uh, Yun Kui was directing, and, and he said, can you can you do that? And I looked up, and I went, yeah, I can do that, you know? <laughs> so when I got up to the top, and I looked down, you know, you have a different perspective looking down, and then my heart started racing, and 
he goes to me, well, um, he goes, you know, there's going to be an explosion behind you. You're going to be holding a fake baby and you're going to have heels on and you're going to jump down into those mattresses and cardboard boxes, right? And he said, now, when I say action, you have to jump because if you don't jump, the fire from the explosion is going to come and hit you. (laughs) Now, I can't even breathe. I'm like, I don't like heights. You know, I'm, I'm so nervous. And when he says action, I felt the heat coming on me, you know, and I jumped. And when I jumped, you know, I, I, and I thought this is crazy because, you know, I just do martial arts. I've never done stunts. I don't even know how to, how to fall, you know? And um, when I jumped, I jumped into the boxes and I landed on my butt and then my knee came up and hit me in the nose. And, you know, when you get hit in the nose, you know, my eyes were watering. I thought I broke my nose, you know, and then Yoon Koi says, oh, there was something wrong with the camera. We have to do it again. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And now I'm like really nervous because I know like how horrifying that was. But um, went up and did it. And, and it was just it was just it was my introduction to, you know, hey, you have to do the stunts we tell you, you know? And I remember the last, the next movie I was going to do before I did uh, China O'Brien, they said, we want you to jump off this high rise building. It was the highest building in Hong Kong. So you know how high that is. I, I mean, I can't even imagine to guess what the, the, the footage is. Um, and they said, we want you to jump down and there's not going to be any safety net because we want the camera on top looking down oh, and damn. you're going to jump and you're going to have a hook in your hand and you're going to hook a sign and that sign is going to take you down. And I, I, I was crazy. I was going to do it, but I was so nervous I couldn't sleep. And then when they said, you want to do Ken O'Brien in, in Utah in America? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to do that. <laughs> So, so I was kind of glad because, you know, they used to think, okay, how can we top the last stunts that she did, you know? And, and luckily then, you know, I learned how to do stunts pretty quick, you know, because, uh, like I said, in America, they would, they would never have you do that because they'd be, no, that's like way too dangerous, you know, or they would have like, you know, you know, $50,000 worth of equipment, you know, to, to make sure you're safe or, you know, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be just like, yeah, no safety net, just jump and put the hook down. <laughs> Um, going back to uh, Millionaires Express or uh, Shanghai Express, um, uh, another listener, Matt Coomber, uh, has got a question. He asked, what was it like being part of the ensemble cast in that film? And do you still keep in touch with Samo Hung and Richard Norton? Well, um, that that was really funny, that one. Uh, that uh, I was still kind of new. It was my second film. And um, I hurt my knee. I came back from Yes, Madam. I came back for like, uh, they gave me like two week break and I was training in my class and doing a jumping hook kick and I came down and my knee went up like that and I heard it and I was like, oh no, it's full up. So uh, I went, I went to Hong Kong and I couldn't kick on, on my right leg. I had to do everything on my left leg and you know, you usually prefer one side. So I met Richard Norton and Richard Norton, I said, Richard, I said, I, I said, I hurt my knee and he goes, oh no, he goes, I just hurt mine because he was in the Philippines. He did a movie and he, uh, hit his leg on a rock and it cut it and it got infected and he had to have it drained three times. So I was like, Oh, this is great. Both of us like got messed up or his stars got messed up legs, you know? So we actually bonded pretty quickly, uh, you know, with, with, with that story. And it, it was funny because like, uh, Samuel said, okay, now this is going to be the middle of winter, but it was like, you know, 102, you know, Fahrenheit. Right. And they said, because it's in the middle of winter, you got to put three layers of clothing on. And I was like, okay, right? And I felt when I saw that, I looked like so heavy because I have three layers of clothes on. But not being smart enough to realize that, hey, the audience doesn't know I have 
two layers <laughs> under me, you know. And uh, Richard, um, like he, he, I remember he only had one costume, and he was kept sweating it out. And they had like a little girl drying his armpits, you know, with a hair dryer. It was just, it was just kind of crazy. And on that film, Samo was in a rush to get it done. So nobody could go home. We were shooting around the clock, sleeping in, in beds that were there, you know, and um, I remember I'd be sleeping and Mong Hoi would come up to me and wake me, go, don't, don't sleep, don't sleep. You know, this is after like about 36 hours. Don't sleep, don't sleep. You'll get circles under your eyes. I'm like, I don't care what it looks under my eyes, you know, and then it'd be like, oh, you need to go to the bathroom. Well, take that bush over there on the left. I mean, it was like really, really, really crazy, you know, so it was funny and we were all in this same experience, you know, together. And um, I haven't seen Samo in a while, uh, but Richard Norton and I uh, have done like, I don't know, I think we've done like eight or nine movies together. So we're really, really good friends and we, we talk quite often. Um, so what, you go back to uh, America for uh, China O'Brien. How was it transitioning back into American films like Martial Law, No Retreat, No Surrender to um, China O'Brien after you worked in Hong Kong? What were, what were the differences between between them? Uh, well, first of all, I had a script ahead of time. <laughs> when we were shooting in Hong Kong, I never had a script beforehand. I'd get an idea of what the story is, and then I would get my lines right before we had to shoot. The people that I was uh, acting with didn't speak English, so I never knew what they were saying, so I had to wait until they stopped talking and then go on. Uh, it was such a treat for me when I came to America to speak in English because I could listen to what they were saying, and I knew what was going on. Like when we were shooting Mag Magic Crystal, uh, the director said, look up at the ceiling. Uh, to, and I, we were like, well, what are we looking at? Ah, it doesn't matter. Just look up at the ceiling. So, you know, I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm counting the holes in the ceiling. And when the movie comes out, I'm looking going, yeah, I'm looking at aliens attacking the earth. I think you should have told me that. I wouldn't have been like counting holes in the ceiling, you know? So it was so much easier in that aspect. Um, as far as action goes, the action was just, oh, it wasn't even comparable. I mean, it was like, I could, I could do these movies without any pads on my arms and on my shins, you know, because I had to pad up uh, so, so much, you know, on the Hong Kong ones, because, you know, in America, when you, we were doing the films, you do one or two takes. In Hong Kong, they do like, you know, maybe 30 takes, you know, and you get hit, get, getting hit really hard. You're on that same spot. You're all bruised. You know, you had to wear uh, pads. And I remember when we were shooting, um, oh, oh, what was it? Uh um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. Um, I think it was Lady Reporter. I think it was the same one. I fought a Thai champion. And uh, all the stuntmen were saying to me, ooh, he's tough. We don't even want to fight him. And I started the scene with him, and he was so hard. It was killing my shins, even with little pads on, right? So uh, what I did is they made me metal pads. <laughs> you know, made of metal. And I was like, this is great. Now I'm going hard. Well, now I'm hurting his hands because I'm blocking metal to his bare hands so they make him metal pads too and it was so funny because the hong kong movies aren't shot with sound but you could hear clink 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 <laughs> you know and you never knew it and neither of us got hurt then because the metal you know was a good barrier against all the power so so it was kind of funny so the action was you know not as difficult not as you know intense as, as the hong kong action <laughs> who have been the, your favorite people that you fought with on screen uh, oh, there's a lot. Uh, I think to to my mind, probably the best person I ever fought with was uh, Yin Biu. Mm -hmm. And I think because our timing was very similar and we just, you know, the movements just clicked. 
you know, we had the same kind of rhythm, the same movements, and it, it was was uh, a lot of fun, you know, working with him. Because sometimes you'll work with someone and your timing will be off, like someone will be a little too slow, a little too hard, or not hit the exact spot, you know, and then, you know, you have to keep doing it and doing it to get it right. But it seems like, you know, we got it right all the time. And he's he was like a phenomenal martial artist, you know, so we could do some really like crazy stuff in, in our fight scenes. And when I was doing that movie, it was writing wrongs or above the law. My knee was still hurt. So again, I had to switch everything to my left side. So, and I was kind of worried, oh, how's that going to look? Because I'm kicking all with my leg. That's not as good. But when I saw the film, I was like, okay, that looked pretty good. You couldn't even <laughs> tell that that was my, my leg that isn't as good as kicking as my right. <laughs> Oh, I, I still wouldn't fancy getting a kick from either leg. I'm sure you're powerful in both of them. <laughs> um, you mentioned Jackie Chan earlier, and I think I'm correct in saying that you would have been in Armour of God with him, but I think it was scheduling conflicts prevented that. Uh, Are there any other plans? Were there any other plans for you both to get together in the same movie back then? No, you know what? It, actually, I was supposed to be the bad person in uh, Armour of God, but what happened is that's when he got hurt. He had that uh, brain injury. He was doing a movie. And Golden Harvest uh, didn't want me to wait till he, you know, he got better. So that's when they put me in Above the Law, Writing Wrongs. And um, then, then after that, you know, I went to Utah. And then my contract was up with Golden Harvest. And when I was in Utah, Sylvester Stallone's people called me. They wanted me to star in a movie with him called The Executioner. So I was like, you know, my eyes were like all bugged up and oh my goodness, really? Like <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, are you kidding me? So then at that point I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in the States, you know, and do that. Unfortunately, um, that movie uh, never, you know, never went. Was that but, quite... uh, but I've never, but then I haven't, I wasn't back in Hong Kong and I haven't, you know, had, you know, had an opportunity to work with Jackie, which is something I still w would love to do. Oh, yeah. We'd all love to see it, too, I'm sure. Was there, was there very often projects like that? You mentioned the Sylvester Stallone one that were put to you and then just never materialized. Uh, yeah, there was that. I did Irresistible Force, which was supposed to be a TV series uh, for CBS. And we shot the pilot. And that one was totally wrong timing because... In the States during that time, there was a big thing about violence on TV, and the director kept getting notes from the studios, no kicks to the head, <laughs> no blood. <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me? I got this person here that, that can kick so well, and she can't kick to the head. Uh, so he said, I'm going to do it anyway. And then when they got it, um, you know, uh, they, you know, they said, oh, we can't, we can't put this on. You know, I mean, now look what's on TV, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so they just kind of put it out to DVD and the, the series never went, which I thought would have been a great, it was just, you know what, too, too much, you know, before it's time. And then um, at one point I got called in by Paul Verhoeven for Total Recall for the Sharon Stone part. And I went in and I, I thought it was the greatest movie ever. You know, and I was like, wow, I was like, oh, I said, this is so exciting. I, I went, and, and I thought the meeting went well. He liked me. And he was like going, I said, well, I just did China O'Brien. He goes, can I go see a screening of it? And I was like, oh, I don't think they have screenings for China O'Brien because <laughs> it's such a little movie, you know. And uh, and then I never heard from them. And then, um, you know, a couple of months, my agent called his office and they said, oh, no, nothing happened. So I never thought anything of it. And then I was on a plane one day and this guy said, hey, Cynthia, I, I worked on Total Recall. He goes, hey, that's a bummer. What happened? And I was like, oh, well, what? You know, and they go, oh, why you didn't get the part? And I was like, why didn't I get the part? I don't know. And they said, because 
because some of the act, the actors was like, I don't really want a woman that could fight. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Oh no, are you kidding me? So, so, so I guess in my whole life, the three big opportunities was the salon, the CBS TV show, and then, you know, playing the Sharon Stone part in Total Recall. Although you mentioned China O'Brien then, and it's, had you any, well, you probably wouldn't have had any idea, but the way that it's exploded in popularity over the years, what both with China O'Brien 1 and 2, because I, w- I would class them as big films now because they've, they've got such a huge following worldwide. Yeah, actually, you know, we were talking and we wanted to see, you know, because, you know, when it, we did China O'Brien 1 and 2, we shot them at the same time. I mean, we'd be in the office and the director would go, oh, okay, let's do, let, since we're in the office, let's use the office for the second script and we'll do scene number 34. And we'd, we wouldn't even have our scripts with us. And we're going, but uh, we didn't even look at it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just look at yourself. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we were like just reading lines and it was just so fast. We shot two the two movies and uh, I think five or six weeks, you know, we never, you know, it was, it was difficult because you, we weren't really experienced you know, in acting. And um, then we thought, wow, how cool would it be to come now with China O'Brien 3, right? Mm-hmm. And and just uh, do it modern day, you know, more dark, more gritty, you know, a little bit, you know. But, um, you know, we found out that we think Warner Brothers owns the rights and, mm-hmm. you know, it would be so expensive to get it from them or maybe they, you know, they wouldn't want to do it. So, you know, but, but that thought has come across, you know, to do a revamped version of, you know, China O'Brien. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, definitely. Um, fast forwarding a bit to 1993, you worked on two films directed by Godfrey Ho, Undefeatable and Honor and Glory. What were your memories of working with him? <laughs> um, well, it was it was interesting. When I did those <laughs> films, uh, basically, uh, I was offered a lot of money. And when I got to, uh, we shot them in like Washington, D.C. When I got there, they, he didn't have he didn't have money to pay anybody else, so he would just get anybody as actors, and <laughs> it was kind of, it was hard because it was like people like they literally I saw a scene where the guy couldn't remember his lines and, and the camera was on the guy, and they they actually taped his lines to my forehead, <laughs> you know, and I was like, and then and then I remember my sister in one of the movies was dying, and she goes, oh, I got to go, I got to go to work, and I was like, well, can't you just wait for the scene so I could see you, you know, because that's like a big emotional scene, you're looking at your sister and it's dead, you know, and she goes, no, I got to go, I got to go, and I was like, oh, man, you know, Godfrey, you got the actress got to at least stay, so Godfrey said, oh, here, don't worry, so we shot the scene, and he goes, just look at my hand, my hand is her head, and, and I'm looking at his hand doing this scene where my sister's dying and he's like doing like tiger claws, like making little wiggly fingers and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So so actually, you know, it, it those those movies are kind of like, you know, you never know how they're going to come out. But I think I don't know which one it was the one. Um, uh, what was it with uh, Don Neum? Uh, I believe. Yeah, I think, yeah it's undefeatable, I think it was. Undefeatable. Yeah, right. Like that. Uh, I cringe when I see that movie, right? And, um, and um, that movie has become a cult film where I think it's got over 10 million hits on YouTube because it's like so bad. But because it's so bad, people like it. And I did this question and answer thing in this theater and they showed it. And I was like, do you have to show that? And they're like, yeah. And the audience were going crazy, like laughing. And they're going, 
and, and then Don Neum called me and said, let's do Undefeatable too. And I was like, Don, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and the people are like, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. And I was like, oh, for one of the movies I'm most embarrassed about, you know, it's funny. It's, it's got this like weird, weird following. <laughs> It is, it is, well, yeah, it is what it is, but it's highly entertaining at the same time. I watched it again last week and it's just a blast, but for slightly the wrong reasons, I guess. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, over 10 million hits, that's crazy, you know. <laughs> uh, for those then that have never seen a Cynthia Rothrock movie, and I'm sure the listeners to our podcast, there'll be none of them that, that have not seen a film. If if somebody had not seen one of your films, which one would you recommend them to watch first? Oh, I, I would say definitely one of the Hong Kong movies like Yes Madam or Above the Law Writing Wrongs, you know, if you can find them. I mean, I think, I think someone told me Netflix had Yes Madam. And I think though, even though when you look back, you know, those films like what, uh, they're, they're like, uh, you know, over 20 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. But the fight scenes are still incredible. You know, that the fight scenes scenes would still, people would go, wow, you know, wow, that was great. So, um, yeah, I would say one of those for the fights. And as far as American movies go, I'd probably have to say uh, Sworn to Justice, I think, is is one of the better mm-hmm. ones that I've oh, done. Yeah. And in 1997, you starred with uh, Fred Williamson in Night Vision. Um, and, and Fred Williamson is a guy we've talked a few times about on the podcast. What was it like working with him? Oh, Fred was great. That was, that was fun uh, working with him um, because... He was a very seasoned actor, and I found that, you know, when I worked, you know, instead of, like, working with the Godfrey Hope people or anybody <laughs> that can come in for free, that it made my acting better. And um, one of the things that I really loved is when I did Sworn to Justice, when I worked against uh, Brad Dorff, you know, like, I just felt, oh, my scene was just so good. So so it's, it's nice. It was great experience for me is to work off of someone that I could learn from, that I could, you know, that would help my craft you know, uh, be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got another question from our listener, Robert Beardsley. He just wanted to know your opinions on how the action film genre has evolved from the 80s, where we've got more like wire-foo CGI stuntmen, but also films like On Back of a Raid. How do you think things have evolved since the 80s? Um, I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking kind of at the action, it's the action is still the same. I think like the, the, the CGI has, is what's really like involved, you know, um, basically back then you had to be a real strong martial artist, you know, to do those films. And now it's, it's almost like, you know, you, you could take anybody and put it like a, like a double in and you wouldn't really even know that they could almost do like the whole film. Um, I like, you know, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's out there now. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't really think it's changed that all much. I think just with technology has changed. So, you know, um, Don Wilson said something interesting. It was like when we, we did our films, I mean, we were doing the films for like, you know, <clears throat> they were doing them for maybe like $500,000, even like maybe uh, he even did some like for less, like maybe $100,000, you know. So you really don't have a budget and you don't have, you don't have like, you know, any budget at all for CGI or for big stunts or stuff like that. And if you could hold a movie, you know, a person's attention just on pure action, Mm -hmm. you know, it has to be good, you know, without having all the bells and whistles that, you know, make the, make films good. So I always thought that was an interesting point, you know, that, uh, that the, back in those days, it was just raw fighting and that was it. Oh, yeah. How long did it take back in those days to, to choreograph the fights? 
Well, it, it depends. Um, in in Hong Kong, uh, we've never we rehearsed that day because, like when I shot uh, Yes, Madam, that film took me seven and a half months to shoot. Mm-hmm. So we basically uh, would just, you know, we'd come on set and then they would teach it to us and then we'd do it. Where in America, you know, like they would have you say, okay, well, we're going to have two weeks of rehearsal, you know. And it was interesting for me because, like, I shot this movie last year, White Tiger, with Don Wilson, you know, and they wanted me to come, like, two weeks early for rehearsals, you know. And and I did go, but the interesting thing was is that I was so used to someone just showing me the choreography and just doing it, you know. Yeah. That I sat there, you know, while uh, some of the other actors like rehearsed, like they couldn't get their scenes. I was just sitting there and then I'd get it and I'd do it. So um, I think I think that that was that's a big difference there. And I think when you're over there and you're you're learning in Hong Kong, like in that kind of atmosphere, that you just learn how to pick up things really quick, you know, and be able to change it like, you know, in a second. Yeah, because I was going to ask what sort of input did you have into your own choreography? Um. I, you know, when I was in Hong Kong, uh, I just, they were so phenomenal at choreography that uh, there's nothing I could do to make <laughs> the choreography any better. <laughs> um, when I came to the States, I know like when I did uh, Tiger Claws, we really didn't have a choreographer, you know, so I had to, you know, do my own, my own scenes. But, um, and then when I did Sworn to Justice, I brought in a Hong Kong choreographer. And I think, you know, uh, that, uh, that makes the movie, you know, if you have good, good choreography and then like sometimes when I'm in the states like I'd work with the choreographer like they would show me something and then I'd say oh yeah okay that's good how about if we add this and this you know because I knew more you know what I could do but yeah. but in Hong Kong I you know I mean I never had to I never had to suggest something it was always you know wow <laughs> cool <laughs> and of course you got your trademark scorpion kick too yeah, you know how that happened is uh, I was on the West Coast demonstration team and I was uh, I was working with John uh, George Chung. I was working with George Chung on a uh, skit and I was uh, doing some ballet classes. And one of the exercises that we had was, you know, you just kick back and you try to, you know, you have your two hands on the bar and you try to hit your head with your foot. Well, I did it and it hit me really hard. <laughs> yeah, I hit myself <laughs> in the head really hard. So I said to George, I said, hey, let me try this. Because I, I, if I could hit myself in the head standing up, maybe I could do it to you. So I said, put me in a headlock. And I went back and hit him. And I, <laughs> I almost like knocked him out. You know, and he was like, oh, I was like, he's like, that's great. Let's use that in our, in our next uh, demonstration. So when we did that, you know, it, 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 you know, it was a crowd pleaser. And uh, <laughs> so that's how I, how I uh, developed that kick. I mean, it's also been called like the Roth Rock Sting. You know, um, but it was, yeah, just from doing a ballet exercise where you tried to <laughs> kick your foot up and hit your own head. <laughs> um, can I take you quickly back to the early 80s? Because I didn't realize this until I was reading up about you today, was the KFC commercial that you did. Can you tell me how you got that? Yeah, um, that was that was before I, I, I have done any of the films. Uh, it was, uh, I was on the cover of a karate magazine uh, for being number one. And uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was doing a sports theme where they wanted to get five different sports people who were the best in their field. And their theme was, I'm the best in martial arts. Kentucky Fried Chicken is the best in chicken. So it was kind of like that. And when they walked by, they saw they were looking at the karate or they were looking at the magazines and they went, oh, look, at here's this girl on the cover. So they tracked me down, uh, 
called me and they said, we want you to do this commercial. So it was interesting because I was in LA at the time and they're like, we're going to fly you first class. And I never flew first class. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, I was only going from like, like San Jose to Los Angeles. So there wasn't a first class. And I remember they're like, here's $200 for dinner. And I'm like, $200 for dinner. I went and got pizza and it was like $10. And I was like, I got $190 left, you know? And then like I went into the studio and they had a whole Kentucky fried chicken built inside. My eyes were like, you know, I was so naive, you know, I was like, Oh, they built a studio inside, you know, inside <laughs> another room, you know? So, uh, it was, it was, it was like an eye opener for me and I got paid. I think I got paid like, like $10,000 to do it. And I was like, Whoa, my, you know? <laughs> So, so it was fun and it was, um, you know, it, that, you know, so that's how it, it did it. I think I remember like, I don't know, they had a gymnast, a boxer, a race car driver, you know, and it was all that same thing. I'm number one in, you know, this and Kentucky Fried Chicken's number one in chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, you retired from acting in 2004. What prompted that? And also what prompted your return um, in, in the last couple of years? Well, um, in 99, I had a little girl. And uh, I did Redemption with Don Wilson and I was sitting on the set and, you know, I was sitting there all night and I was thinking, I could be with my little baby. What am I doing here? You know? <laughs> so I, I thought, you know what? I just want to concentrate on, on being mom. I didn't really, you know, I didn't want to, all the films I was doing was taking me out of the country. I didn't want to take a little baby with me out of the country. So the next movie I did, I think that was probably like 2003 or something. I did uh, a movie in Puerto Rico where I was the lead. And I took, I took her with me and my mom came and uh, it was kind of an, uh, an experience for me. It's like, can I do, shoot a movie and also have my daughter there? And it worked out fine. Everything was great. You know, so then I think I, uh, you know, I did some other things. And then she got into school. So when she got into school, I couldn't pull her out to go with me. And so that was, let's see, she was, that was probably about, you know, 2004, right? When she was in kindergarten and I couldn't really take her with me you know, because uh, of school, that I stopped. And, um, you know, uh, then she became 12, and now she's 13. And and she was like, well, I don't want to hang with mom that much anymore. I want to be with my friends. I don't want to go on vacation. Can I bring a friend? You know, and like, I was like devastated. I was like, oh, no, you know, you don't want to go with me? So then it was like, well, then... I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> so that's what I said. So, you know what? That's time for me to go back to work. Uh, because like when I see her now, you know, being the 13 year old teenager, you know, I don't even see her. She goes in her room, closes the door. She's on her home, on her phone all day or iPad or whatever, you know, and I don't see her. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going back to work. So that, that was my, uh, that was my deal. And, um, you know, uh, I, um, uh, that was my deal. And uh, I said, okay, now, so now I'm focused. Last year I did three films and uh, this year I have two that's, uh, that's not completely confirmed, but um, they're really good ones. They're big ones. Um, so a listed film. So I'm hoping that I can, uh, you know, that these come about because I think then this will escalate my career into a whole different level. Oh, excellent. Has your daughter so, got any plans to follow you into a similar career? Uh, you know what? She started studying martial arts and then and then she stopped and then she got into theater, dancing and singing. So that's where her interest is. And I think, you know, it would be different if I had a martial arts school and she had to come there every day. Because actually, I was thinking that's what I was going to do until 
I started doing these three, I did those three films last year. So I thought, oh, okay, so maybe it's time, you know, uh, you know, not to open up the school yet, but to go, you know, back into film. Uh, so, so, you know, I, she says to me, well, I don't want to be you. And I'm like, you're not me, you're you. But <laughs> I told her, I said, you know, I don't care. You don't have to, you know, you know, do martial arts like I did. But I just want you to be able to defend yourself. So we'll work on things. Or I'll show her things. I'll say, you know, what do you do in this situation and this? So, you know, she's pretty strong from the dance and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's what her focus is. And, you know, of mm-hmm. course, you know, being the mom, I'd rather her say, well, why don't you be a doctor or something, you know, or, you know, it's like, hmm, not in the entertainment business, but you know, that's so far, that seems what she wants to do. And she, she is like pretty talented, but she keeps saying, I, I want an agent. I want an agent. And my agent wants to represent her. And I keep going, oh, let's just wait a little bit. on that." <laughs> so now she's like, oh, I'm good at makeup. I want to be a makeup artist. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this leads me a little bit into another question from one of our listeners, from Tina Rogers. And she says, uh, there was a lot of talk last summer about a female version of The Expendables. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Cynthia think of that idea? And she also added that personally, she says, I think Cynthia should just be in Expendables 3 and not make it gender driven. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I am in talks with people about those. And also, uh, I... I have not for Expendables 3, but, you know, my name keeps popping up, but I, I would love to be in that. And I think, you know, she's right that it's, it's not a gender thing, you know, that. And, and I kind of when I saw that, you know, the first one, I was like, where am I? I should be in that film. You know, they had all the action guys. And now the second one they did. And now the third one they do. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What, what is the problem? You know, and I keep telling my agent, get me a meeting with Stallone, you know, because I was going to do that project with him. Because it just doesn't make sense. You know, they had all the guys that were popular, right, mm-hmm. in the 80s yeah. and 90s. Yeah. And it's like, I don't get, I, you know, what is it? You know, I know they know, they know they know me, you know. So, I, you know, I'm trying to get a meeting, you know, for that because it just would make, to me, it just makes sense because they they don't have any of, of the women, you know, from, from that era, which, you know, there weren't a whole lot. But, you know, it would make sense for them to, to use me, you know. Oh, definitely. I mean, we have. We I have don't know. So all the fans find out where Stallone is and write to them and say, "What's Cynthia in the Expendables 3? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should we should do because I know in past episodes that we've done of this, we've championed you for being in the Expendables. We were incredulous that you weren't in the last one, and you know we were still got our fingers crossed that you'd be in three, but. Yep. hopefully that can yeah i know i mean like i said you know I, I don't know you see like all these like mock posters coming up and i think like now like maybe like seagal might be in it or something like that you know or uh i don't know if jackie chan is but it's like you know come on you have to have i am like the best representative of the women of action film to that period you need to get me in there <laughs> <laughs> we need to start something on this tom we need to get cynthia into the expendables now yes petition. yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, the photography as well, I do believe you're quite in, into photography. Uh, yes, um, you know, uh, it, it started uh, when um, my daughter was in school. I started taking pictures and I started scrapbooking, which was kind of a nice uh, outlet for me just to focus on creativity and artistic stuff because, I don't know, most people don't know, when I um, graduated from high school, I went to college to, for art. <laughs> so so I like to do, like, you know, art stuff. So uh, scrapbooking was fun. Well, then when I started 
scrapbooking, I thought, oh, I want to get better pictures. So I went and I did a college course in photography. So then I started taking her pictures at her school and then I started giving them to the school. And then they're like, well, will you take all the pictures, you know, like the, the yearbook pictures? I was like, ah, oh, okay. So, so I started, so the more, and then people were saying, hey, would you shoot our, like, you know, they didn't even know I was an actress. You know, they're like, hey, can you, can you shoot our like reunion party or 50th birthday party or this and that, you know? So it started, I was doing photography for a while and I thought, oh, this is nice. Maybe I'd like to do this, you know? And then my friend said to me, well, what's your real love? I said, it. well, of course it's doing films, you know? And she says, well, f- focus on that. Don't be focusing on this other stuff. Just focus on that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but so I still, it's still like a good hobby of mine. I still love to, you know, um, you know, take, take pictures and, you know, I'll do, I'll do some headshots with some friends and things. So what's the next things that, uh, that you can tell us that you've definitely got plans then for as far as film wise goes? Well, I am uh, writing a book. So actually next weekend, I'm going away to finish it up with the second draft. Uh, so I have a that's coming out. Uh, I'm also uh, working on a web show that's called uh, Man vs. Mobile. And that is, um, that's uh, what we do is we look at apps and we test them out. So when I get home, we're testing like a, an app that to see how it is with altitude. So I, they're going to have me sky jump. <laughs> out of a point <laughs> on my arm and while we're coming down and of course tandem let me do it myself you know i'd be talking about it so it's to me it's really exciting because it's uh adventurous and i love to do like adventure things mm-hmm. so um so we have that and what we're doing now is when i get back we're shooting like a sizzle and uh someone's going to go and shop it and see if someone wants to pick it up but um people can kind of check it out it has a little bit of uh you know, uh, presence on the internet called Man versus Mobile. And uh, let me see what else am I doing. And then hopefully, you know, one of these movies will come out, come out this year. I did a, a film, I think it will come out at Christmas time, called Santa's Summer House, which was kind of a fun movie. Uh, Kathy Long was in it, Daniel Byrne, Gary Daniels. And basically the director loved, he was fans of us for our action. He says, I want to do a Christmas movie with no action, with an action star. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it was really cool i it's funny because um i was supposed to play the kathy long part and what ended up happening was um uh, i couldn't do it because i had a scheduling conflict and uh i had a scheduling conflict and um uh i said i can't do it so then uh the conflict had cleared up but when i read the script i said to my daughter i said oh i said uh you know um I would love to play Mrs. Claus. And she's like, Oh, are you, are you crazy? You know? And, uh, she says, you can't play that. She says, Oh, I said, I would love that. Well, when my agent called back about the movie, he says, well, we already cast that role, but would she want to play Mrs. Claus? And I was like, are you kidding me? So it was like one, and then, but the, the Santa Claus is, um, uh, Robert Mitchum's son, Christopher Mitchum. And he's like quite a bit older. And the director was like, yeah, Santa could have a younger wife. There's nothing wrong with that. So it was so much fun. It was like one of the most, one of the most fun uh, movies that I've done. Oh, it sounds like you're enthused to be back in making movies again. Yeah. So, so you know, so it's good. Um, you know, I um, hopefully, you know, I, I could get back in and uh, it, it would be good. Well, that would be good. Um, 
what we'd like to do, I know we, we don't want to keep you too long, Cynthia, but one thing we do like to normally sort of end with is if we can get you to give the listeners a, a fact or a little bit of trivia that they wouldn't know about you. Uh, uh, I, I don't like turbulence on airplanes. I get really nervous. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Almost like where I can hyperventilate and I'll grab the person sitting next to me and I always go, is this normal? Is this normal? So I don't like that. I don't like snakes. Um, let's see. And and then I, I scrapbook. Yeah, there I guess that. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Cynthia, before we go to the closing on this? No, no. I mean, that's it. I mean, if anybody wants to uh, keep track of what I'm doing, they could go to my website, CynthiaRothrock.org. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Of course, we will put links to everything onto our website. And of course, anything that you'd uh, like us to promote in the future, of course, we'll okay. be more than willing to help. Um, well, thank you so much again okay. for joining us, for joining on this show. It's been an absolute pleasure, hasn't it, Tom? Oh, well, thank great. you so much. Thanks for asking me. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It was a pleasure. Okay, thanks. All right. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye. 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 Okay, well, after that great interview of Cynthia, if the only thing left is to do the housekeeping. As always, our website is www.80spicturehouse.co.uk. On that, you'll find all the links to what Cynthia has been talking about, her website itself, a Man vs. Mobile's website. Um, our email is contact at 80spicturehouse.co.uk, or you can use a contact us box on our website. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash 80spicturehouse, and our Twitter is at... 80s Picture House.